Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting authentic truth in a fearlessly authentic way. Today we're going to depart from the story of Joseph and talk about his brother Judah. We're going to talk about the principle of sowing and reaping. The interesting thing about sowing and reaping is that not only do the bad things come to you, but sometimes things come to us that we don't deserve. And we're going to see how grace comes to Judah's life when he was the one of the ones that least deserved it. Thanks for listening today. Here is Grace and the story of Judah. You want to take your Bibles and go to Genesis 38. We're going to take a detour from Joseph's life and talk about Judah. No doubt you're familiar with the idea of sowing and reaping. Somewhere along the way, you've heard someone say, you know, you reap what you sow. In the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, he said this, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Other ways to say the same thing is you get what you have coming. Or how about this? What goes around comes around. Or our actions have consequences. And like all principles, the principle of sowing and reaping can work for you or against you. Felonies can result in prison sentences, and academic diligence can result in good grades. And the cause and effect principle is foundational to our human experience. The idea behind any principle, whether it be gravity or in the laws of physics, is that it makes certain components of life relatively predictable. You know, I'd hate to get to retirement and discover that a penny saved is a penny lost. I'd hate to find out that if... Uh, all I had to do was double my carb intake and not exercise, and I would have remained the same amount of weight. When we study the biblical narrative of Genesis, we realize that sin has wreaked havoc in all of, in everything of creation. It's just wreaked havoc in everything. So while the principle of sowing and reaping is operational in our world, you know, and you, you're probably thinking right now, I know some exceptions to that. Hardworking, responsible people who did everything right, fall financially on hard times with circumstances that had nothing to do with them, but they did everything right. So where's this principle there? People who take great care of themselves, bodies are eventually destroyed by disease. Dishonest people prosper. So sometimes that because of sin, that principle is thwarted. But the good news is that there is another kind of exception to this principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, and this one is not the result of the brokenness caused by sin. This exception is the result of God's love and His mercy. And the exception that I'm referring to this morning is the theme of our service. It's grace. Just as sin sometimes results in bad things happening to good people, so grace creates the possibility of good things happening to undeserving people. The presence of sin means that sometimes we don't get the good that we deserve. But the presence of grace means that sometimes we don't get the consequences we deserve. So here's my thought for this message as we go through it. It's this, grace is the vehicle God uses on occasion to ensure that we get precisely what we don't deserve. Grace is the vehicle that God uses on occasion to ensure that we get precisely what we don't deserve. Moved by love, God turns the world's cruelties in divine opportunities for good people. And he even uses the evil intentions of bad people to redeem them. Now, no story in the Bible illustrates this truth more than the story of Judah. No, no story, I think, in all of Scripture illustrates God's expression of grace better than the story of Joseph and Judah. Joseph is an uncommonly good man, isn't he? He's uncommonly good. 
I told you when we started this series that although we're going to go through his life and we're going to talk about the things that are, are in there chronologically, you know the story of Joseph if you've been around church for a while. And so it may be a little bit familiar, but we want to take principles from Joseph's and Joseph's family's life. And let's, let's, let's not just know the story of Joseph when we leave here today. Let's not just know the facts about Joseph or Judah, but let's take something home that I can use tomorrow when I go to work, tomorrow when I'm at school, tomorrow when I have to face that relative, tomorrow when I have to face that test, tomorrow when I have to drive again, tomorrow when I have to face that, that test again, tomorrow when I have to take that pill in order to stay alive again. Let's take these principles and really take them and, and apply them to our life. Joseph is an uncommonly good man who suffers unspeakable injustice. And Judah is a wily, callous, hypocrite who enjoys undeserved prosperity and popularity. But God has a plan for both of them. And today we're going to look at the plan for Judah. Now remember the story up to this point where we were talking about Joseph. Joseph was born into a family with lots of brothers. Lots of brothers. And it turned out that uh, Joseph had the privilege of being born to Jacob's favorite wife. Remember, he had Leah, and then he had Rachel, and then he had two concubines. So while they call them concubines, in essence, they had a child together, so we call them wives. He had four women which he had children with. The one who he loved the most had Joseph, finally, and he loved Joseph more than all, all of them. He, he showed favoritism. We talked about how that was not good. And, and so he gave him this coat of many colors. Remember that coat of many colors thing? And, and the coat of many colors, by the way, the coat of many colors was a long-sleeved coat. Now, in that day, the only people who wore long-sleeved coats were the leaders. If you were going to be a worker, you would wear a, a, a sleeveless tunic. All the other brothers had sleeveless tunics, but Joseph had the long sleeves. If you were going to work, you didn't wear long sleeves because it would get in the way. And so this was the story. And so one day, while the, the boys that he, aren't his favorite are out there with the sheep, Jacob sends Joseph out there to check on him. And when he gets there, they plot his death. And then they throw him in a pit. And then they decide, well... Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. And so they sell him. And when we left Joseph, he was being sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. That's what we saw. We saw adversity last week. We saw how life needs to be handled. But we saw the idea of adversity. We saw his origins. We saw adversity. And today we're going to look at this idea of grace. Let's pick up this story of Judah. And here's my first thought on Judah. And we're going to look at three thoughts in Judah's life. As we look at these three thoughts in Judah's life, we're going to kind of run through his life very quickly this morning, pull out some principles to understand. And here's the first principle I see from Judah's life, and this is this. No one is too broken for grace. I don't know what you went through this week. I don't know what you went through in your life. But I want you to know that there is nothing that you have done or have ever done that God cannot show his grace and mercy and forgive you. There is nothing that you can do. Well, you don't know. You don't know my story. You don't know the, the things that I've gone through. You don't know the particulars that I did. You don't know how wicked I was. No, I don't know. But I really don't have to know. I know the God who created this world and who wrote that Bible. In that Bible, he says, there is no one who is too broken for grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, yet not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't do enough wrong to exhaust God's grace. Now, he doesn't say go out and try that now. Judah was the fourth child. He was the fourth child to Leah, Jacob's first wife. And he is the one that we see here in Genesis 37, where he is the mastermind of the conspiracy to sell Joseph. Veiled his greed beneath a thin veneer of mercy. He's like, hey, brothers, I've been thinking about something. Why don't we sell this little guy and make some money off of it. He's our brother after all. And so he had a, a veiled his greed beneath a thin veneer of mercy. And the years to come, he would perfect this skill to become a master of disguise. 
So they sell him and they come up with this idea here in the end of verse 30, uh, chapter 37 about dipping a, uh, his coat and ripping it up and dipping it in goat's blood and taking it to their father. And if you'll just, just if you're in 38, it's just a couple verses back. It says when they, when they told Joseph in ver, or Jacob in verse 38, he rent his clothes and put sackcloth, sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. He saw the, the, the type of uh, pain and anguish that his decisions had caused in his father. And according to verse 35, he was one of the people who actually went to feign comfort to him. Oh, dad, it'll be okay. We'll make it through. And he could have just said, dad, he's alive. But he never did because he played a dual life with his father's grief. Long after the money was gone, the memory would remain. Maybe he regretted being the mastermind. But his life never showed it. Judah maintained an innocent exterior, perhaps even feigning concern when he was called upon to comfort his father. Then we come to uh, chapter 38, where I had you turn this morning, and verse 1 says, It came to pass at the time that Judah went down from his brethren and turned into a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Hmm. You know what I see in that one? You say, well, what do you see? what's wrong with that? Um, he pursued wrong friendship. This wasn't a God believer. This was a pagan. This was a guy who was going to influence him. Yeah, but he's cool. He's awesome. He, he does everything I want to do. He's going to lead you away from God, Judah. Judah, you're not even close to God now. The last thing you need is a friend who doesn't love God. And so he's like, oh, no, I'm going to hang out with him. He moves away from home. Maybe the guilt of everything that was going on at home caused him to just say, I've got to get out of here for a while. And he moves away from home. And he comes up and he has this friend here. Is this his friend? Well, they think they're friends. And then, you know what? A lot of people in the world can seem very friendly and they can seem very nice and they can seem like they have great concern for you. And they say, oh, your parents don't understand. Oh, your wife doesn't understand. Your husband doesn't understand. Your, your, your kids don't understand you. Oh, you don't understand. I'll be here for you and I'll be here. And all they're doing is giving you counsel, which is oh, the only counsel they can give you, which is ungodly, worldly counsel. That's all they know. So Judah hangs out. And in verse 2, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite. Are you supposed to marry a Canaanite, Judah? No, but you are. Whose name was Shua. No, that's, not, that's her dad's name. She's not, even a, she's not even important enough to find out what her name is. And he took her and went in unto her. I love that. He picks the bride for his son, but he doesn't give his father the same courtesy. Now, believe me, I'm not saying that that's a process that we need to put into America, but understand this. The idea of getting married without parental approval, and I'm not talking about all these crazy relationships, but the idea of having a good relationship and just walking away and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, how well is that going to work out? Hold up the universal sign of how well that's going to work out. Okay? And so here he goes, and he's, did you, did you ask your dad's permission? I hate my dad. My dad showed favoritism to Joseph. I'm down here because I can't stand my family. Okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. How's this going to work out? You're not, you're, you're, you marry outside God's will. And that's what he did. He married outside God's will. And then they started having kids. She conceived and bare a son and called his name Ur. She conceived again and bare a son and she called his name Onan. And she bare yet and conceived and bare, or she, she yet again conceived and bare a son and called his name Shelah. And he was at Chizib when she bare. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, whose name was Tamar, or Tamar, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord slew him. And Judah said to Onan, Go into, in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. Now understand, that what, what, what's, what, what's going on here? This is called a Leverite marriage. And this is, we don't do this today, but this is what's common in that time. It protected childless widows. It wasn't like this girl could go out and get a job. She wasn't, women couldn't get a job. Women weren't held as, as, as anything but property in that day. How, how sad, right? 
But, but they protected childless widows from poverty and this, this marriage, protected poverty from women from poverty and destitution because they couldn't go out and get a job. They couldn't, they couldn't own anything. And one of the dead man's relatives could claim his estate, marry his widow, take care of her. And then the children that he would have with her would be raised up under the name. If it was Onan, it would be under Ur. They would have Ur's last name and they would, they would be like the descendant of Ur. That's the way they would, would do that. So Onan knew that the seed, verse 9, should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife that he spilled it on the ground lest he should give seed to his brother. I didn't know that was in the Bible, Pastor. I didn't brought my kids. Well, you know, the Bible is beautifully, beautifully appropriate when it needs to be appropriate. And it doesn't, it doesn't, and I'm not one of those preachers that's going to get all, you know, uh, X-rated and, you know, shock preacher. It's just, you, what, what happened is that, simple as this, he was supposed to have a child with her, but he didn't. He just wanted to have the act of having a child with her, not actually have a child with her. You read between, you know, that's what happened. And so what did God do? God killed him. Pretty harsh, pretty harsh. I don't seem like the God of love in the New Testament. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. But it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a what? A just God, right? Fearful. So he kills him. Well, here's Judah. <laughs> okay. Son number one was with Tamar. He died. Son number two is with Tamar. He died. I only got one left. Hmm. Which one of these is the problem? I think it's Tamar. So what, what, was, what was Judah's issue there? He, he was blind to his children's faults. God didn't kill the first son because of Tamar's sin because his son was so wicked, but Judah couldn't see that. Parents, sometimes you're blind to your own kids' faults. Aren't we all? We are sometimes so blind to our own kids' faults, okay? Before you take your kids' cause, and I'm not saying your kids are always wrong either, but before you take your kids' cause, would you check out the facts? Would you check out the facts? Would you go talk to the people without the kid there and figure out what's going on? And if they're right, then let's make it right. But you know what? More often than not, you're going to find out that the story that you got told is not the story that was actually happening. Find out the facts. Well, he was like, well, this must be Tamar. And then Onan, well, you think Onan ever went to his dad and said, Dad, guess what I'm doing? No. He kept that from his dad, but God knew, and God killed him. And so Judah, because he has no spiritual, he's just playing the spiritual person up front. Oh, hey, I'm at church. I've got my big King James Bible, and I sing my wonderful hymns, and I just love the Lord. I just love the Lord. He's so shallow. He has no idea of what real scripture is. He doesn't teach his kids what scripture is. He, de- he plays the game in front of people, but only his family knows who he really is. And they can't stand him, which is why his kids weren't following anything. And he wasn't following anything. And boy, Judah was following in the footsteps of his father, Jacob. Same thing. So what happens here? Well, he tells, tells Tamar, Well, remain a widow, verse 11, at thy father's house till Shelah, my son, be grown. For he said, lest preadventure he die also. He didn't say that to her. He said that to himself, and he, his brethren didn't. Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. In the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died, and Judah was comforted and went unto his sheep shearers to Timnath and his friend. Who is his friend there? Who is his friend? Hira, the Adulamite. Oh, he's back. Okay, what happens? Judah's wife dies. And so to bring comfort to himself that his wife dies, he gets hooked up with his buddy again. No mention of this guy before, but he probably was in and out. But his buddy says, hey, I know the best way to cheer you up. Let's go to the sheep shears. And what they would do is they would, his, his guys, he had accumulated some wealth by that time, would take their sheep and they would sell them and be a big party time. It'd be like, it'd be like, like Rio at the Olympics, okay? It's just, just nothing but party. Party, party, party. And his friend says, hey, why don't you come with us? We're, we'll cheer you up. And when he goes there, he is walking into town and he sees a, a prostitute. And he goes to her and he says, you and me, what do you think? And she goes, what are you going to give me? And he goes, I'll give you a goat. 
which must have been the price of that at that time. He says, but she goes, well, I don't see no goat. He goes, well, I don't have a goat right now, but he's like, wimpy, I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. And she goes, well, I don't have credit unless you have some collateral. And so he says, well, what do you want? He goes, she goes, I want your signet, the thing that identifies you in legal things. I want your walking stick and some other things there. And he, so stupid, basically gives her his driver's license and his social security card. Basically, that's the equivalent of what he gave. Here's my driver's license and my social security card. And then, let's do what we do. He walks away like, no big deal. Okay, his wife just died. Now, his buddy brought him to this place. He knew that all, this, was, this was common. Now, Tamar knew that he was going to come there, and he, she also knew that Shayla was of age, and Judah wasn't fulfilling his promise. And Judah had so not checked on Tamar this whole time that he couldn't even identify her, even with a veil. Now, I'll tell you what. Girls, you can put on some war paint like crazy, but I'm going to know my daughter, even if she has a veil on. I'm going to know that that's my daughter. I'm going to know something. Why? Because I'm around those girls all the time. He was so neglective of her, he didn't even recognize her. So they do the deed. He goes on, and then he sends a goat back because he's an honorable guy. <laughs> Not. He sends it by his friend. His friend comes back and says, there was no, no woman there. And I asked the guys about this girl, and they go, there, there's no prostitute that hangs out there. That's not the red light district. They hang on to there. We don't know what you're talking about. So he came back. He says, well, let's not tell anything about it. Let's, not, let's just, I'm kind of embarrassed. Let's just keep this between the two of us. All right. Three months later, Tamar's tummy starts to enlarge. Why? Because she got pregnant from that little tryst. And then the rumor gossip, and she was in a good Baptist church, the rumor gossip got going on and it was like, And then all of a sudden, someone came to Judah and said, hey, 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 Judah, what? Man, I'm picking up my new signet. What do you want? I'm trying it out. I just carved this new stick. What do you want? You know Tamar? Tamar, Tamar, Tamar. Yes. She's pregnant. She's played the harlot. And he was like, what? She played the harlot? He practiced self-righteousness. He responded exactly like someone hiding a secret sin, someone, to, someone pretending to be someone that he's not. He burned with righteous indignation against the sin of another while conveniently forgetting his own wrongdoing. And he said, you know what? Bring her here, and she is going to be burned. In fact, it says here in verse 23, I kind of gave you the cliff notes. It came to pass three months after that was told Judah, saying, Tamar, thy daughter, in-law, has played the harlot, and also, behold, she is with child by whoredom. And Judah said, bring her forth and let her be burnt. You're going to burn Tamar for the very thing that you just did, Judah? That's convenient. So full of grace and mercy is this Judah. And it would be, it'd be laughable if it, his response would be laughable if it wasn't so tragic. Isn't it the same Judah who plotted to kill his brother? What do you think? Isn't it the same Judah who sold his brother into slavery because killing him didn't yield a prophet? Isn't it the same Judah who broke his father's heart and let him mourn the death of his son for years? Isn't this the same Judah who promised to take care of his daughter-in-law, never intending to keep his word, and whose dereliction almost forced her into prostitution to avoid poverty? Is that one? Is this the same Judah church? Yes. Maybe people are too broken for grace. How can Judah receive grace? This is a wicked man. He sold his brother. He wanted to kill his brother. He lied to his father, even when his father's heart was broken. And for all these years, he kept this. He went and made wrong friendships. He got involved with the wrong woman. He had kids and he didn't parent his kids right. His first son died because he was wicked. His second son died with his wicked. His third son's on the road. 
He's neglective to his responsibility to Tamar. He engages in prostitution. And when his daughter-in-law does the very thing that he does, he wants her burned to save his face. Maybe there are some people who are too broken for grace. How could God forgive a man like Judah? people too broken for grace sometimes we think that they are i hope that you'll come back and listen to part two of grace and find out the end of the story of judah i want to thank you for listening today and i also want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast you'll never miss an episode and if you were encouraged by what you heard today i'd love for you to share a link up to our podcast on your social media that's a great way to get this message out to as many people as possible glad that you tuned in today and I'll see you next time right here on Fearlessly Authentic.